Good morning, everybody. Or if it's not morning where you are, good afternoon, good evening. I am so happy that you're here. And I'm recording this on a Sunday morning. I'm just going to tell you guys, if you're listening to this in real time, a couple of weeks ago, I recorded an episode all about 2024 and making changes and getting back into healthier habits. And I have been on my game and I'm feeling it. I've been waking up early. I've been doing my breath work in the morning. I've been taking my cold showers before my kids get up. And it has given me such a boost of energy in the morning. It has helped me feel so much more proactive and less reactive. And it's only been two weeks of me doing this. This is the point where a lot of people drop out on their New Year's resolutions. But I'm like, okay, this is so motivating because I'm feeling so good. And I just want to keep up with it. And then after I got my kids ready, I dropped them off at gun. I came home, I did my yoga, I sat with my planner and planned things out for the week. And I'm really excited. I have a bunch of really exciting guest interviews that I'm doing this week. I have a lot of client sessions that I'm really excited about, planning something also really fun that's coming in about six weeks. And yeah, I'm just feeling good. It feels good to feel good. And whenever I sit with my planner, I love my planner. If you know me, if you've listened already, I'm super type A. Me and my planner have a very nice relationship there's a little space in my planner that has room for you to write what you're grateful for every day. And it's so important to practice gratitude. I find it so grounding. And the thing that I actually wrote in my planner this morning was I'm so grateful for not feeling anxious. And I actually write this pretty regularly because I have had experiences where I've felt really, really anxious. And I do not take it for granted that I don't feel that way anymore. And there are a lot of different things that have contributed to me feeling less anxious over the years, but food, diet, and lifestyle changes has been a huge, huge part of it. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. We're going to talk about how you can reduce your anxiety and mood swings through food and dietary changes and lifestyle changes, because I actually think this is life-changing information. And I know that sounds really cliche and really fluffy, like, hey, this episode is going to change your life but I really mean it. Not that necessarily you're going to listen to this episode and that will change your life. But if you are able to learn how to reduce your anxiety or prevent anxiety from coming up in your body, that will change your life. And I can tell you firsthand, it has changed my life because I've had I've had quite the history with anxiety, which I also want to share with you before we dive deep into all the practical tips on this episode, because I want you to know when I say reduce anxiety, I'm not just talking about, you know, I feel stressed about work. I feel stressed about my kids or whatever else is going on and eating healthy has helped me worry less. That's not what I'm talking about when I speak about anxiety. And when I think about my own history with anxiety, I think a lot of it started as a little kid, but the first time where I really remember knowing that I had anxiety, like knowing that I had a problem that was called anxiety was when I was 17. And when I was 17, I was just starting my senior year in high school it was a rough year for me. There were a bunch of different things that happened that kind of broke the straw on the camel's back. Um, I think there had been a lot of pressure building up until that point, you know, social stuff, working really hard to try to get into college. And there were just a couple of incidents that I felt like made me snap. And I started having debilitating anxiety. And when I say debilitating, I meant I was having panic attacks every day. I was refusing to go to school. My parents, God bless them, were, were really, really worried about me and trying to get me as much help as possible. They were bringing me to therapy. They were bringing me to psychiatry. Uh, they ended up, we ended up, I should say, as a family deciding that I would go on medication because I was really just at a point where like, I was not functional at all. And before this, I would say I had been a super high functioning girl. I always did really well in school. I was in dance three times a week. I had lots of friends. And then I just got to this point where I was like, not, I was not myself because I was dealing with such terrible anxiety. And so I started taking anxiety medication. I started going to therapy. I think I started like twice a week and then I dropped down to once a week. Um, and I had this deal at school that basically I did not have to go to class if I ever felt too anxious. Cause I was so scared that I was going to have panic attacks in class. And I couldn't remember or I couldn't think of anything that would be more anxiety inducing than having a panic attack in the middle of class in high school. It was just, it was a really, really, really hard period in my life. Honestly, I could say it was the hardest period that I've gone through in my life to deal with such horrific, debilitating anxiety. And, 
medication definitely helped me feel a little bit more stable because I wasn't having as many panic attacks once I got on medication, but I hated it. I really hated the way it made me feel. I felt like a ghost of myself. I felt like I wasn't really able to feel the really bad feelings, but I also wasn't able to feel the really good feelings. So I felt kind of numb all the time. And I also felt like I had lost this one thing that could be cathartic, which was having panic attacks. So it's not that I ever wanted to have a panic attack because if you've ever experienced them, you know, they're horrible. You literally are hyperventilating and feeling like you're dying. And I had been having them really, really frequently, but I did feel like when all the anxiety was building up, which I felt like it had been building up for years, it was one physical way for my body to release it. Like I would usually be so tired after a panic attack that I would just go to sleep and have these really deep sleeps that were like black sleeps, no dreams. And there was something about it that was cathartic. I knew it wasn't healthy, but I felt like that was taken away from me when I got on medication. And then I just had this like low level buzzing anxiety that I couldn't really ever get rid of. And I just, I just did not like the way I felt. So the plan was always for me to try to wean off of it whenever I seemed stable enough. And I ended up, I graduated high school. I went to Israel for my gap year. I went to seminary and I was working with a psychiatrist once I got to Israel who was monitoring me on the medication. And then being in a new environment was also just really, really helpful for me. I was with different people. I was, you know, just away from a lot of the pressure. There were no grades in gap year, you know, it wasn't like working so hard to get into college the same way that I was in high school. And there were a lot of different environmental reasons that helped me just feel a lot less anxious. And I was itching to get off of this thing. So under the guide of a psychiatrist, I started tapering off my medication and eventually went down to nothing. And I was probably like 18, almost 19 at that point. And since then, my anxiety was not gone, but it was, I would say it was like stable. So for the most part, I just had this low level anxiety. The way I would describe it was I kind of felt like I was very close to the edge of the cliff. I wasn't falling off the cliff the way that I was when I was 17, but it was very easy for me to get set off. If there was a change in my plans, um, something unexpected that would come up, some kind of like social drama or family thing, it was very easy for me to get to the point where my anxiety was like a level 10. And on a regular average day, I would wake up and it was probably like a five or a six. And I kind of just got to this point where I was like, okay, I need to accept this. I need to move on with my life and it's okay. It's okay to have anxiety. And I kind of thought about it the way that, you know, I have brown hair. I'm five foot five. I have anxiety. It's just a part of me. It's the cards that I've been dealt and it's important for me to cope with it, but I'm not going to change it. And so that was always my attitude towards it. And I had, you know, then these waves coming in and out with anxiety since then. So I ended up then moving to Israel, met my husband, got married. And once I would say throughout that period, my anxiety was probably at a lower level. And then when I started my first job after college, my anxiety went back up to a 10 because unfortunately I was working in a horrible, horrible work environment. It was very toxic. It was very unhealthy. And I started feeling literally paranoid this wasn't so much something that I felt like was my own issue. I knew from a lot of my coworkers and other employees at this place that a lot of us were very, very stressed and very anxious working there. And I ended up leaving after like six months because I could not handle it. I just, you know, to give you a little bit of perspective, I think I was the 11th person to leave our 30 person team in like six months. And I know after I left four or five more people ended up leaving. So it was really just a very very messed up, unhealthy work environment. And throughout that time also, when I was working at this place, I could not sleep. So I had to be up for work at like 6.30. I had to be at work at 7.45. And I remember being so tired, but I would get into bed at night at like 10.30, 11 p.m. And once I would lie down, I would start having these crazy heart palpitations. Like my heart was racing. My thoughts were racing. I didn't know what to do with myself. Sometimes I would read. Sometimes I would just say to Hillem because I didn't, I really didn't know what to do with myself. And I would usually do that until like 4.35 in the morning, finally crash and fall asleep and then wake up at like 6.30 and do it again. And this went on for almost six months, which knowing now everything that I know, it's no wonder that my hormones were so wrecked by the time I was trying to start to get pregnant because this was 
this was a lot. It was really a lot on my body. Thank God I ended up getting an offer for a job in the midst of all of this. And I was able to leave that work environment, started working at a much better, happier, healthier work environment. And I would say then my anxiety went back from, it was at a 10 and maybe it went back to like a five or a six. And from that point on, again, it was kind of like these, you know, low waves of anxiety, but little things would just cause me to go into these spirals. So let's say I was stuck in traffic. I would start having these thoughts of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late to work and I'm going to get fired or I'm going to get in trouble. Even though I knew I was really good at my job, I had an amazing relationship with my bosses. There was no reason for me to think every single day I was getting fired. Also, where I live, there's a ton of traffic. Traffic is really bad. Everybody that's getting to work is dealing with the same amount of traffic. And if I showed up five minutes late, everybody was showing up five minutes late because I'm a pretty timely person. And I don't know why I would just always jump to the worst case scenario. When I was starting to try to get pregnant, my anxiety also started going up, up, up on that scale. And it was about everything. Every time that I was doing a pregnancy test, every time someone would text me, I'd have horrible anxiety that they were going to send me a pregnancy announcement, which happened a couple of times, but most of the time my friends were just texting me to say, Hey, and, you know, try to get together. But I was basically just living in this cycle with anxiety. And again, I, I thought this was just the deck of cards that I had been dealt. And this was what I had to deal with. And it was only when I started making all of these dietary changes that I learned for the first time in years, what it feels like to live in a body that doesn't have anxiety. And before we get into this again, I want to give the disclaimer, I'm going to really be talking about using food as a tool to reduce anxiety because that was my experience. And it is something that I have walked so many women through. I've seen so many women eliminate or extremely reduce their anxiety levels. I'm not saying it's the only tool that you can use. I think there is definitely a place for professional help, for therapy, for medication, for so many other types of modalities that I've also dabbled in, whether it's supplements for anxiety, yoga, meditation, energy healing. There are so many different ways to go about reducing your anxiety. And it's such a personal decision. And it's something that you have to feel like it makes sense to you. But this is one tool that I think a lot of people don't know about. And it's something that actually can end up being pretty easy and pretty sustainable and pretty consistent. And that's why I want to share this with you. So the only reason I went into my own background of dealing with anxiety is really not because I want to share that journey with hundreds of people. In fact, I really don't talk about it a lot because I don't identify with it anymore. I really don't identify as an anxious person anymore. If you ask me, you know, how do I identify? I would tell you so many other things. I'm a mom. I'm a proud Jewish woman. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm really passionate about health. Still identify, you know, with my brown eyes, my brown hair, I'm five, five. I don't identify as anxious. And the reason that I don't is really because I made these dietary changes that reduced anxiety for me. And even if you have really debilitating anxiety, I do think this is a tool that can be helpful for you because I lived it. And so that's why I want to share it with you. So in this episode, we're going to talk about four different things related to diet and lifestyle that can help you really reduce your anxiety. And in order to understand why, I want to explain to you how anxiety works in our body from both a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So when I say top-down, I mean from your brain, from your thoughts down to the body. And when I say body bottom-up, I mean, your body can also send messages about anxiety up to the brain and generate anxiety in the brain. And our minds and bodies are very much interconnected. It's not like they're two totally separate systems. They're connected in so many different ways, especially through our nervous system, through our gut, which we'll get into in this episode. And so when anxiety starts top down, that means that anxiety starts in the brain. Maybe you have a thought or you notice something that makes you feel really anxious. So let's say you get an email or you're just looking at your calendar and you're thinking in your brain, oh my gosh, I have so much I need to do today. I have all these meetings. I need to go to the supermarket. Shoot, I really want to also you know, cook a healthy meal and maybe you want to hit the gym, but you're like, I don't have any time. I have to pick up the kids. I have to pick up all these random things. I don't know. You just feel like you have so much on your plate and your brain starts racing with all these thoughts of how you have no time. And then you start feeling your heart rate speed up. 
and you start feeling a little shaky in your body and you're like, okay, you know what? I don't have time for any of this. I'm going to skip breakfast. And then your body's really feeling it. Your body's really feeling anxious. So that's one way that anxiety can start in the brain, but it can also start in your body. So when your body has different symptoms or is sending different kinds of chemical messages, your brain is going to produce thoughts that match the state that your body is in. And maybe you've experienced this before if you've ever had a really strong gut reaction to something. I mean, I could tell you one example where I wish <laughs> I wish I was more in touch with my body at this point was when I had an interview for this job that I was telling you guys about that was a really, really unhealthy, very bad job that I should not have ever taken. Because I remember being in the interview, my body was screaming at me, get out of here, like run. This is red flag. I couldn't have told you why the thoughts in my head were not matching up so well with my body, but my body was like, Lauren, this something, something is not right here. My stomach was hurting. I felt nauseous. I was sweaty. And in my brain, I was just like, okay, it's really scary to interview for jobs. You know, you've never really done this before. I'd had like part-time jobs throughout college, but I hadn't ever done something full-time like this. And my brain was like racing to try to catch up but I ignored it. I ignored those messages and ended up in a, what I will call, it was a very powerful learning experience. I'm not, you know, angry in the end that it happened because it was one of the greatest teachers in my life, but it was a really, really hard time period. And so sometimes your body recognizes something, even though my brain was like, yeah, this is normal. This is normal to feel like this in an interview. It wasn't. And so sometimes your body will, you know, if you ever felt like you got punched in the stomach or your stomach is twisted in knots, you have butterflies, before even knowing why, your brain is going to try to come up with reasons for that. So again, my brain came up with the wrong reasons. It said, oh, you're just nervous because you're interviewing. It's not. I was nervous because something was not right with the people who were trying to hire me. And this evolutionarily makes a lot of sense that our brains and bodies are connected like this. Because let's say back in the day, if you were you know, hanging out in your cave and you saw a tiger your brain doesn't respond as quickly as your body, but your body will snap into fight or flight mode and it will say, okay, we've got to run or we've got to fight because that's the only way that we are going to survive. And if our brain saw a tiger and our body stayed relaxed and it wasn't gearing up to go run or climb up a tree, we would be dead. Like humans would not have been able to survive without our bodies having this very quick, intense fight or flight response. So when we go through that fight or flight response, we have symptoms like our heart racing, our pupils dilating, sweating. Internally, our body starts sending a lot of glucose into the blood so that our muscle cells can be ready to run long distances or put up a fight and basically use up a whole lot of energy. But the problem right now is that for most of us, we don't really need that fight or flight response for the things that are stressing us out. Like if you're stressed about work or your social life or traffic or any of these kinds of modern stressors, you don't really need tons of glucose being sent to your muscle cells. You actually need to stay calm. You need to think about how do you make good decisions? How do you stay centered or you know, have a tough conversation with someone? You don't need your heart rate to speed up. And so we get stuck in these scenarios where our body is really stressed out and then our brain actually has to come up with reasons for that stress. And when we take a bottom-up approach, what I mean is you're teaching your body how to relax, how to get into a state where the body is not anxious and the brain will follow, your thoughts will follow that. And I actually think for a lot of people, it's easier to do this than to start with the top-down because places where you would practice top-down is in things like therapy, right? When you're in therapy, you're trying to organize your thoughts or work through your thoughts, maybe work through some trauma and by doing that, the hope is that the body will then start to calm down. But that could take years. And I know for me personally, it didn't work that well. Like therapy was just not the modality that really helped me reduce anxiety. And other things like moving my body, exercising, changing the way that I was eating, were they weren't immediate, but they had a much stronger and much quicker effect than something like therapy. And so I'm really excited to get into all of these different ways that you can start working from a bottom-up approach. So the four things that we're going to focus on today are regulating your blood sugar, improving your gut health, improving ovulation and producing progesterone, and regulating your circadian rhythm. Because when you do these four things, 
that puts your body into a very low to no anxiety state. And then your brain is going to follow suit. So of course, we're going to start with blood sugar because if you guys have been here for even just one episode, I feel like I should track how many times do I talk about blood sugar in every single episode, but I talk a lot about blood sugar because this is such an easy door to take into improved health for so many reasons. If you go back to episode four, you'll hear a lot of different reasons why I talk about getting off the blood sugar roller coaster. It has a huge effect on our hormones and our fertility. But one of the biggest benefits of balancing your blood sugar is reducing your anxiety. So I'm just going to give you a quick review. But if you haven't listened to that episode, go back because I really dive deep in that episode. And when we have a blood sugar spike, this is what I mean. Let's say you drink some really sweet sugary coffee, your mocha frappuccino. That was me like every single day in college. When I started out university in America, I would go to Starbucks. I'd get a mocha frappuccino with like 40 to 50 grams of sugar. And that's how I would start my morning. That was my breakfast. And for me, what was happening then in my body was I had a ton of liquid sugars that would break down super quickly in my stomach. All of those sugars would get sent into my bloodstream. And then insulin would come in and be like, oh my gosh, the blood sugar levels are super high. We need to get this sugar out of the bloodstream. So let's just send it straight to Lauren's liver. Let's get it out of this bloodstream, bypass the muscle cells because we know this girl's not exercising and we're going to send all that sugar to the liver. But because all of this is happening so quickly and I had so much sugar that didn't take its time breaking down, it's not like the sugar in you know whole grains or complex carbs or beans and legumes. This is just like pure liquid sugar. When we drink these sugary coffees, my blood sugar would actually crash And when you have a blood sugar crash, your brain goes into survival mode because the brain really, really relies on glucose for energy. We can use fat to power other things in our body, like our muscle cells, but our brain really, really relies on glucose. And if all of a sudden we have no glucose in the blood, or I shouldn't say no, but very low levels of glucose in the the blood, your brain goes like danger, danger, survival mode, something is wrong here. And in that case, a bunch of things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to get a huge craving for sugar and carbs because your body's like, we need energy ASAP. But also you will release cortisol into the body. You will actually have a hormonal response to that blood sugar crash that makes you feel anxious. Okay, cortisol basically makes your body start doing those fight or flight things. The sweating, um, the pupils dilating, feeling a little bit shaky, feeling a little bit dizzy. It's very, very hard to feel calm and centered and cool and collected when your body is pumping out cortisol. And again, this isn't in response to any kind of threat. This is just in response to your breakfast, or I shouldn't even call it breakfast, to the coffee. So when that happens and your brain is all of a sudden in this survival mode, you tend to crave more sugar and carbs, you get them from somewhere, and then your blood sugar levels spike back up and the same thing will happen. You're going to be following with another crash. Once you're on this roller coaster, it's really, really hard to get off of it. And when you're on this, your mood and your energy tend to follow it because when we're sending these high levels of cortisol into the blood and then the body has this crash with energy and then it goes back up, it's just like literally I picture my bloodstream going in these crazy waves. Like if you're watching the ocean during a storm as opposed to a lake that's nice and calm and steady. And when you start paying attention, you feel it. Like you literally feel it internally in your body. It almost feels like your blood is buzzing around in there. And even if nothing is happening, even if there's nothing stressful in your life, if you thank God have, you know, good people around you and you're in a good situation, you just feel anxious when your blood sugar is going so crazy. And one of the biggest changes that I noticed when I cut out refined sugars from my diet, when I started on this whole, you know, trying to get healthier, trying to reduce my PCOS symptoms and improve my fertility. And I was really not eating a lot of sugar. It wasn't immediate. It was about like five weeks in. I remember I was driving to work one day and I was stuck in traffic and I just noticed like, oh my gosh, I'm not worried about being stuck in traffic. I know that if I get there a few minutes late, it'll be fine because everyone is stuck in traffic. And I just noticed like in my brain, I wasn't coming up with these crazy scenarios of feeling really worried about something happening. And it was, it was so new to me at that point that it was noticeable. And I remember telling my husband, like this morning I felt calm, even in traffic. Can you believe that? Like that is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. And he said to me, you know, 
you've been a lot more calm lately. Like if you think about it in the last three weeks, you haven't gotten annoyed at me. I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? What is happening? And I really started to notice that the way I usually felt at the edge of this cliff and there was just anything could set me off. I, I had taken a few steps back from the cliff. Like it took a lot more to get me to that edge than I was used to being at. And so tiny little things being in traffic, my husband saying, hello, good morning. Like these things were not setting me off the way that it used to. And it was just so interesting. Like, honestly, I was so curious about the experience and it led me to learn a lot more about sugar and nutrition and how all of these things were affecting us. But because up until then, I had been in such a regular state of anxiety, I was just really like, I want to dive deep into this because this is crazy. Like if I found a cure for my anxiety and this whole time I've been telling myself this story that these are just the cards that I've been dealt, but maybe it's not true. Maybe I'm not truly an anxious person. Maybe my blood sugar was just imbalanced. That that would change my life. And so as I continued on this journey and I was learning more and more about it, I started noticing other things that really, really helped. So I want to get back into you know these four different areas, but blood sugar is a really, really big piece of it. And for so many people, I think this is a great starting point. When you learn how to balance your blood sugar, you will reduce your level of anxiety. The second area of health that can really make a big difference with your anxiety is focusing on your gut microbiome or your gut health. And if you've never heard of the gut microbiome, it's really interesting. I wish we all learned more about this growing up. I took two years of bio in high school. I took, I think, four semesters of bio in college. And I don't really ever remember learning about the gut microbiome. And it has such a massive impact on our health, especially our mental health. So just going to back up here for a lot of you who haven't heard about gut health, or if you've heard this term gut health being thrown around on Instagram or in podcasts, let me just give you an intro to gut health. There are trillions, literally trillions of microorganisms that live inside of our body. They're not our own human cells with your own special code of DNA. They're their own species of different kinds of microorganisms that have been living inside of you. And they really help you with most things for the most part. We have a lot of them in our digestive system. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about the gut microbiome. We also have the, the bacteria that live in our mouths. That's the oral microbiome. We have a skin microbiome, but the gut microbiome has a really big impact on our health because we have this connecting tube from our brain to the gut called the vagus nerve. And so our brain and our guts are constantly talking to each other. And when we have generally healthy, happy, good bacteria that are living in the gut, they help us do a whole lot of things related to our health. So one thing that they help us do is break down food properly. They help us absorb nutrients. So when you're breaking down broccoli, there are so many different components in that broccoli, including a lot of vitamins. And what we really want when we eat broccoli is not to get it in our stomach. We want to break down all of those nutrients and say, okay, let's take all of these vitamins and pass them from the intestines into the bloodstream. That's how we're going to deliver them to all these different cells in the body. You know, we need that vitamin C in our brain, in our ovaries, in our muscle cells, everywhere. And we want to be able to deliver that. And the main highway that works with delivery is our blood. And these healthy bacteria, they're really helpful for passing and helping filter the vitamins and nutrients that we need into the blood. And anything that shouldn't be getting into our bloodstream, we want to send it out. We want to eliminate it either through our bowel movements or urine or sweating. Those are the main ways that we eliminate and detoxify. And the bacteria in our body really helps us uh, carry out those processes. And because these bacteria do so many different things for the body, it's really important that they are constantly in communication with our brains. So I feel like a lot of people don't know this, but I'll just throw out some stats for you because I think this is so cool. We have tons of different neurotransmitters and hormones that are actually produced and stored in our intestines. One of them is serotonin. About 95% of our serotonin, which is also known as the happy hormone, is produced and stored in the gut. Before I learned about this, I don't know where I thought this hormone came from. I guess I didn't really think about it. But if I had to think about it, I probably would have said the brain, right? Like the brain is responsible for what's making us happy. Or maybe you think your heart is responsible for producing these hormones that make us feel happy. 
It's not true. Most of it is produced in our gut. And so when we have an unhealthy gut microbiome, that's going to have a huge effect on our mood. And I think a lot of people have experienced the different ways that stress and anxiety can affect the gut microbiome and vice versa. I'll just give you a couple of examples. If you have ever struggled with constipation, you know that stress makes it so much worse. In our brains, when we feel stressed, that can actually cause our intestines to stop doing peristalsis, which is the smooth muscle contractions, the waves that basically bring the bowels down through the body and on their way out. And when that stops and you get stuck up, you know, it's a terrible, terrible feeling. It means that we're not detoxifying properly. That's also really important for our hormones. We need to be eliminating regularly in order to balance our hormones. It's also just stressful, period. Thank God that's not something I've dealt with a lot, but the few times I've dealt with constipation, it's extremely, extremely stressful. It's just not a fun place to be. We're also not filtering in more nutrients when we do that. It makes it harder to eat. And so we're not really getting what we need out of our food. Another way that stress can impact our gut microbiome is that we reduce the number and diversity of healthy bacteria in our gut when we feel stressed. Stress also literally fuels the fire of unhealthy bacteria that live in our gut. So I, I don't want to like really simplify it into this, but it's kind of like there are the good guys and the bad guys living in our in our intestines. And we want the good guys to win. We want the healthy bacteria that help us absorb nutrients and filter things out to be really thriving in there. And we want the unhealthy bacteria that can cause gas and bloating and damage our intestinal lining. We want those to not be doing well. And when we have healthy bacteria breaking down our food, they produce a lot of byproducts that support overall health. So let's say your healthy bacteria, they're breaking down what you just ate for lunch. They will produce something called butyrate. It's a type of fatty acid that helps reduce anxiety. It helps reduce inflammation. It helps keep your intestinal lining healthy. And there's been a bunch of studies that really look into how our gut microbiome affects our overall health and stress. So there was one study done. It was at the University of Verona in Italy where they said, okay, we're going to take all these adults who deal with anxiety and we're going to give them probiotics. Probiotics are, they could either come in the form of food or supplements, but they are actual healthy bacteria. So this is not just something that's going to help improve the bacteria that already live in your stomach. This is introducing new bacteria into your intestines. And they found that the adults who took these probiotic supplements had less anxiety and they also had more positive mood. They were able to cooperate more and they were able to use coping skills more easily. Now, I thought this part of the study was so interesting because I think the point of this is not that you're going to take a probiotic supplement and then all the stressful things in your life go away. You know, if you're dealing with traffic, if you're dealing with a really annoying boss, it's not like those things go away when you take a probiotic, but it kind of, again, it pushes you away from that edge of the cliff. And when you're more centered, it's much easier for you to rely on coping skills that help you deal with stressful situations that help you deal with anxiety. And I feel like this is such an easy thing to implement that nobody knows about. Like if you knew you could be having more probiotic rich foods or taking a good quality probiotic supplement, and that would help you feel less stressed. Like that's something we could all be doing every day. I do this every day. I take a spoonful of sauerkraut because I like that more than most probiotic supplements and it's a lot less expensive. And it's something that literally just prevents my anxiety from creeping back up. And it's such an easy two minute habit to do. And that's why I love studies like this. Cause I just think they're so cool. And who would honestly believe that sauerkraut can reduce your anxiety? It sounds really woo woo and weird, but it's because it has trillions of microorganisms in every tablespoon. And when we have those healthy bacteria, they help us produce feel good hormones like serotonin, and they help us reduce anxiety. There was another study done that actually looked at having probiotic-rich foods as opposed to supplements. So this was a study done in UCLA, and they saw that when these women had yogurt every day, which is also just such an easy, accessible food, it altered their gut, it altered their brain activity, and they saw that the women who were having more yogurt had less brain activity in the regions that usually are more active when they have anxiety, and they overall were just feeling better. And this was both when they were in a rested state and when they were exposed to stressful situations in the lab. So there's one more study I'll tell you about just again to prove this point, because I think it's really hard to make this connection if you've never learned about gut health. 
but there was another study done in Iran on postmenopausal women. I know I have some postmenopausal women who listen to this podcast and we have to do a whole episode on menopause at some point, but a lot of people know that going through menopause or postmenopause anxiety levels and just mood in general can be a huge roller coaster. And they saw that when women were improving their gut microbiomes, when they were taking probiotics, they overall improved their quality of life, their average stress levels decreased. And so this is something, again, that I feel like is just super accessible. You can boost your gut microbiome in so many different ways. Overall, reducing stress will help, but taking probiotic-rich foods, things like sauerkraut, sourdough bread, apple cider vinegar, yogurt, um, kombucha, there's so many different probiotic-rich foods that can help you do this. And just one small little change over a couple of weeks can actually have a measurable effect on your anxiety. So how cool is that? The third thing that we can do to help our body reduce anxiety levels is to improve ovulation. And this might sound so random, and this actually has nothing to do with fertility. If you're not trying to get pregnant, this is still relevant for you because when we ovulate, basically what happens is that in the middle of our cycle, one time per cycle, usually we release this egg follicle from the ovary. And once that egg pops out of the little sack that it was in, that sack is not just an empty old used plastic bag that we throw out. It actually has its own function. It's called the corpus luteum. And its job once you ovulate is to produce something called progesterone. Progesterone is a hormone that is definitely important for pregnancy. Um, it helps support pregnancy. It's really important if you are trying to get pregnant, but progesterone does a lot more than that. Even if you have not fertilized your egg, even if you're not actively trying to get pregnant, progesterone is really helpful for supporting a regulated nervous system and supporting just good, happy, calm moods. And one of the reasons for that is that progesterone stimulates something called GABA, G-A-B-A, and that's a different type of neurotransmitter, which is like a chemical messenger from the brain that's really important for calming your nervous system. And a big part of why our bodies do this is because if you do get pregnant, again, your body isn't always in communication with your brain on this. So even if you're like, yeah, I'm not trying to get pregnant, your body doesn't always know that. So if you were to get pregnant, those first couple of weeks of pregnancy, your body really wants to protect you as much as possible. It wants you to feel good. It wants you to rest. It wants you to sleep. And so GAPA supports really good quality sleep. A lot of people notice that right before their period, when progesterone and estrogen drop, that's when they tend to have a lot more anxiety. They're much more irritable. They have more mood swings. Maybe you've heard of PMS, right? A lot of times people will be like, oh, she's so, you know, she's so angry. She's so worked up. It's because she's PMSing or she's on her period. First of all, it's so annoying when people say that. And second of all, they're almost never actually on their period. It's usually the hormonal drop a couple of days before your period that can make you feel like that. And it's because when we have really sudden drops in our hormones, that actually also disturbs our overall mood and anxiety levels. So if there's something off with your hormones, if you have low levels of progesterone, if you have super high levels of estrogen, you're actually going to have stronger mood fluctuations because you're not having those hormones like progesterone support other neurotransmitters that support a healthy, calm nervous system. And if you ever experience this to the point where it's like really, really debilitating, you know, you're not getting out of bed in the few days before your period, your symptoms look more like, you know, clinical anxiety or depression, and then they tend to go away. It's worth knowing there's something called PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and that's something that you should definitely talk to your doctor about because I know I've worked with women who have been diagnosed with all sorts of other mental health disorders and it's really been PMDD. It's really been this issue with their hormones dropping so suddenly that they have these really strong anxiety or depressive symptoms. And a lot of it can be solved with improving their reproductive hormones, which is so interesting. Again, I think our body is just so cool that all of these things are so interconnected. And it's worth knowing that a lot of other hormonal imbalances can produce stronger symptoms in PMS or in anxiety in general. So with PCOS, with endometriosis, post-menopause, we tend to see an uptick in struggling with symptoms related to anxiety and depression. And one other thing that I have to say, I have to include in this is that ovulation is so healthy for us because it gives us this natural boost in progesterone, which helps us regulate our nervous systems. And if you're on hormonal birth control, you're not ovulating. 
That is literally how hormonal birth control works. It prevents ovulation so that you don't get pregnant. And when that happens, you will not produce progesterone naturally because the only way that your body will produce progesterone naturally is when that egg is released into the fallopian tubes and then the empty follicle sac will produce progesterone. And so this is why a lot of people notice they have worse symptoms of anxiety and depression and all sorts of different mood-related symptoms when they are on hormonal birth control pills. Now, I don't think getting off of the pill is as much of a snap decision as listening to this podcast and saying, okay, great, I'm getting off the pill. I think preventing unwanted pregnancies is really important. It's really important to do your research on what type of birth control would be best for you and your partner and your family. And so this is not the episode where we're going to dive too deep into birth control, but it's worth noting there are a bunch of reasons you might not be ovulating. One of them is if you're on birth control, like you're definitely not ovulating, but also if you have other kinds of hormonal issues, if you have a thyroid issue, if you have really long cycles, if you have something like P PCOS like me, where you know I used to not get a period for a couple of months at a time, that meant I wasn't ovulating every month. That meant I wasn't naturally getting my progesterone boost that I needed every single month. If you have really short cycles, like less than 27 or 26 days, that could also be a sign of low progesterone. So even though you are getting a regular period and you might think, hey, maybe I'm just getting like extra doses of progesterone, it's usually not the case. It's usually that your estrogen is causing you to bleed more frequently um, and progesterone is not strong enough to keep the uterine lining held together. So these are also things that can coincide with higher levels of anxiety and None of these things are so clearly connected to us. So it's not like when you have PCOS, it's so clear, oh, I just ovulated. Now I'm feeling better and my mood has improved. If these things were so connected, let's say where you had a sugary coffee and you notice your anxiety spiking up, or you have some kind of hormonal condition and you notice how your anxiety is so related to it, I think it would be a lot easier to make these dietary and lifestyle changes. But Unfortunately, it's not like this very direct connection. It's more of a delayed response. And so these are things that require an overall haul in your diet and health and lifestyle habits. And so a lot of the things that we're talking about, balancing your blood sugar, improving your gut microbiome, um, reducing inflammation, that is also really going to help with the underlying root causes of a lot of these hormonal conditions. And sometimes people ask me, well, how do I know? How do I know then that it's really the food that's improving this. Maybe it's because I've reversed my PCOS symptoms, but it's kind of a silly way to think about it. All of these things are interconnected. And when we use food to help us treat the underlying root cause of these different hormonal conditions, that will also help you reduce your stress. That will also help you reduce your anxiety, which then also helps you reduce your symptoms because stress and anxiety exacerbate all of these things. In general, when our body is in a state of inflammation, when our body feels like it's threatened and there's some kind of stressful thing in our environment, our body will try to conserve energy. And we've seen in animal studies when rats or mice, for example, are in a state of inflammation, they will try to conserve energy by socializing less, by moving their body less. And you know that's kind of like the mice version of depression, right? If you think about the things that we know make us feel good, connecting with other people, being outside in fresh air, exercising, like the things that we know are good for us, you know it's so much harder to do those things if you're feeling depressed or anxious. And part of it could be this, you know, evolutionary pull to conserve energy and only keep it being directed at, you know, keeping your heart rate going and regulating body temperature and all the things that are absolutely essential for survival. It's really hard for our body to want to do the things that make us feel good, that make us feel connected and help reduce anxiety. And that's why this can be such a downward spiral. So all of these different things can play a role. One more area that I want to talk about is our circadian rhythm because circadian rhythm also just regulates almost everything in our body, but has a huge, huge role in regulating anxiety. So when I talk about our circadian rhythm, I'm talking about the hormones that regulate us waking up in the morning, having energy throughout the day, having the drive to do things like eat and collect food and socialize throughout the day, and then at night to rest and want to go to sleep. And there are a number of different organs involved in this. Our brain is involved in our circadian rhythm. Our adrenal glands are a really important piece of this. 
Our thyroid is an important part of our circadian rhythm. But when we feel stressed, our adrenals get the message that it needs to pump out cortisol and adrenaline. And if that happens, especially at night, if you're looking at the news at night or you're scrolling social media and you're looking at a ton of blue light, that can actually cause your brain to tell the adrenals, hey, start pumping out cortisol, not melatonin. Like let's not produce the melatonin that makes us feel tired and restful. Let's get cortisol going. That confuses our body about so many things. Like our body can literally think it's daytime when it's nighttime. And I know when I was in that really stressful job, this is exactly what would happen to me. I would lie down in bed and all of a sudden my body was like wired. It was more awake than I was ever in the morning and my circadian rhythm had flipped. Not that I felt a good sense of energy at night. It was a bad kind of energy. It was like an electric lightning bolt of everything racing and it was uncomfortable. It didn't feel good. It actually made me feel super anxious. But part of this is because the adrenals are being stressed out and they start sending out cortisol and adrenaline when they shouldn't be. And part of our menstrual cycle, part of understanding when we're supposed to ovulate is related to our circadian rhythm. So if you think about it, let's say, you know, let's say you're the textbook girl and you get your period every 28 days. How does your body know to do that every 28 days? Like, how does it know to ovulate on day 14 or 15 or whenever it is? It's because you have these little clocks basically in your cells, obviously not a real clock, but you have different parts of your cells that are keeping track of the days. And the way that we do that is related to our exposure to sunlight, um, how often we're sleeping, how many meals we eat. All of these things help our body tally up. Hey, what day is it? Like, how are we, where are we at on the calendar? And that helps us coordinate things like when to have estrogen and progesterone go up or down, when to have FSH and LH cause ovulation. And so when we're able to regulate our circadian rhythm, that will do wonders for our overall hormonal health. And that will do a lot for reducing anxiety. And I know people know this, if you get a good night's sleep, that will always help you feel less anxious, but it's about a lot more than just getting a good night's sleep. It's about making sure that you're doing things at the right time. So eating breakfast, okay? That signals our metabolism. Hey, let's turn on. It's morning. It gives your body this sense of, okay, now's the time to get energy we're in the active part of our day. When we eat really late at night, on the other hand, if you skip breakfast, but you're eating at 10.30 p.m. at midnight, you're having your little midnight snack, that tells your body, hey, it's go time. We're in the energy state. We're in the daytime state because we evolved to eat during the day. We didn't evolve to eat at night. Remember, you know, back in the day, people did not have artificial light. They did not have means of storing their food. So we would eat it all during the day. And something as simple as skipping breakfast and eating late at night can really throw off your circadian rhythm. And that can have a lot of different implications with your hormones. Again, those hormonal complications can end up affecting your gut microbiome. They can throw off your blood sugar, especially if you're eating a lot of sugar and carbs late at night. So, so many of these things are interconnected and it's hard to kind of pick one place to start with but I do want to give you a couple of tips for reducing anxiety because again, there are so many ways that you could go. And I just want to give you a couple of places to get started with. So number one, I feel like this is always going to be my number one, but balance your blood sugar. We do this through reducing our added sugar intake. I know people don't like to hear that, but that's the truth. When we're eating tons of refined and added sugars, it's really, really hard to balance our blood sugar. So eating more complex carbohydrates, going a lot lower on the added sugar is going to help you balance your blood sugar. When we're eating a lot of protein and healthy fats and we have complex carbohydrates or starchy veggies, we are still going to get that steady stream of glucose into our blood that helps our brain stay stable. Okay. This is not about going low carb. This is not about going keto. That's actually a great ticket to get on the blood sugar roller coaster and have your brain think that it is starved of energy. We don't want to do that. We just want to give our brain this like nice steady stream of glucose. Think of it. If you're driving at a nice, happy speed, you're not slamming on the gas pedal and then slamming on the brakes. You're just like very gently pressing on the gas pedal. That's what we want to do for our brains. And that comes from eating a really balanced diet, not super high in sugar or refined carbs. The next thing that you could do is eat for really good gut health. And that will help 
The next thing that you could do is eat for great gut health. And that will really come from eating a lot of fiber and probiotic rich foods. I named a bunch of them before, but things like sauerkraut, yogurt, sourdough, apple cider vinegar, kefir, kombucha. There's so many different fermented foods that also are, I would say like a little bit less popular in you know the classic standard American diet, but things like natto or tempeh, miso, these are great things that you can include that will really benefit your gut microbiome, which has been proven. The research has shown this can help us not only reduce anxiety, but also have more positive mood. It's not just about getting rid of the bad, it's about increasing the good, right? So that's something that I would definitely recommend if you are struggling with your anxiety. It's like a really low level, easy entryway into improving your anxiety levels. The next thing you could do is help regulate your circadian rhythm. Another easy way to do this is with sunlight in the morning. Get outside within 30 minutes of waking up and expose your eyes to natural light. Even if you live in an apartment building, like throw on shoes, throw on a bathrobe, just get out there. That will help your body learn, hey, it's morning and you're kind of resetting your circadian rhythm to know this is morning and then avoiding artificial light at night as much as possible. So screens off at least an hour before you want to go to bed. I know for me, I have moved away from even just like really strong white or blue lights at night. And I have, you've probably seen it on my Instagram. If you follow me, I have this Himalayan salt lamp that I'm obsessed with. It's like this giant pink salt crystal that has a little light bulb in it. And it gives off this really warm red glow instead of a harsh white or harsh blue light. And that allows me to read in bed at night or do whatever I need to do in my room without having this really harsh light that interrupts my melatonin production. Eating breakfast every morning, stopping to eat a couple of hours before you go to sleep, I would say at least two to three hours before you go to sleep will also help with your circadian rhythm. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting where you stop eating at four o'clock. I'm talking about eating by like 7 p.m., maybe 7.30, and then going to bed at an earlier time it is going to be very, very challenging for your circadian rhythm to normalize if you're going to bed at one or two in the morning. Even if you're getting eight hours of sleep, let's say you're sleeping from two to 10, it's not the same thing as getting eight hours of sleep where you sleep from 10 to six. So trying to move your bedtime up a little bit and really, really respecting your circadian rhythm is going to help with your anxiety. Other tools that can help are things like meditation, breath work. We just did a whole episode on breath work with Jessica Ofer. You can go back and listen to that episode. I'll link it in the show notes. Other things that have been shown to help reduce anxiety are things like journaling. If you're someone who feels like you have a million thoughts in your head, like I still do, my brain still just overproduces and overanalyzes all the time and writing really helps me get that out. And there have been studies also that show um, that writing can really help reduce anxiety. Don't skip meals, especially breakfast, but don't skip meals at all. If you go too long without eating, that sends your blood sugar levels crashing And again, that basically puts your brain in a state of survival mode that pumps out the cortisol and makes you feel stressed. Even if you're not stressed about anything, you will find something to be stressed about when your blood sugar is crashing. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote, like, I forgot where I heard it, but it's, you know, put a smile on your face and you'll find something to smile about, like kind of a fake it till you make it kind of thing. But it goes the opposite way too. If you send your blood sugar crashing, you will find something to be stressed about. I didn't talk so much about this one, but pressing pause on caffeine if you really struggle with anxiety or limiting your caffeine. Because I know for myself, I can feel really, really good. And if I have more than one coffee a day, I'm shaking like a jitterbug and I feel really anxious, even though I know it's just the caffeine, I will start feeling anxious in my head. Like these things are just too interconnected for us to separate them. So you don't have to get rid of your coffee, but maybe instead of two or three, you go down to one, maybe you have a decaf, maybe you're like me and you realize you just function better if you have maybe three or four coffees a week instead of every single day. But reducing your caffeine intake can definitely help. A few other things that can be helpful, supplementing with magnesium has been shown to be helpful in reducing anxiety. It's something you can take before bed, obviously, before you take any supplements, you should talk to your doctor but you can supplement with magnesium before bed and that will help also improve your body's melatonin production. It will help you relax and calm down and help with resetting that circadian rhythm. There are also adaptogens that can really help with managing anxiety. Um, This again, you definitely wanna talk to your doctor about, especially if you are trying to get pregnant, pregnant, breastfeeding, 
because adaptogens are different types of herbs that have an effect on your nervous system. I've had excellent experiences with them. They're not for everybody. Um, things like ashwagandha or maca root, they're different herbs that can basically help your body kind of reset the nervous system. And it's really cool. They can actually, they're called adaptogens because they can adapt to where your nervous system is at. So if you tend to have like a speeding up type of anxiety where you feel like everything's going very fast, your thoughts are racing, your heart is racing, it will help slow that down. But if you are on the other side where you feel like things are really slow, you feel like you're moving through molasses, you feel like you have no energy and you're more on like the depressed side of the scale where things feel really slow and low, they can actually help bring you back up to the middle where you'll feel a little bit more energy. You'll have a little bit more pep in your step. So I feel like that's also something we need to do a whole episode on at some point. I want to bring on an expert, but adaptogens are a much more natural way to help regulate your nervous system. Again, a lot of them are not considered safe during different parts of your fertility journey. So ask your doctor, ask a really experienced herbalist about those. Um, but they are another tool in the toolbox that you might want to be open to. And another one here is exercise. Okay. The benefits of exercise on mental health are so well proven. There was even a study showing that they did better than certain antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. So getting into some kind of regular exercise routine is just going to be so good for your mental health. And the reason that this works is again, because when we're stressed, our cortisol is sending tons of sugar into the blood, which if we don't use it up, is just going to send our blood sugar crashing again. And then again, that brain goes into survival mode. But when you use it up through exercising, First of all, you're going to stabilize your blood sugar levels. But second of all, there are so many other amazing benefits that happen when we exercise. We start producing feel-good hormones, and it overall can just boost our mood. It can help us clear our head. So exercise is a great natural way to do that. That also has the side bonus of tons of other health benefits. And the last one that I have on here is acupuncture. I have found that acupuncture is such a great way to not only manage anxiety, but prevent anxiety. And I go through waves of how often I am committed to going to acupuncture. I will also say if you're someone like me, who's very go, 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 or, I mean, you could hear in this episode, I talk super fast. I think super fast. Like my body is just on this speeded up <laughs> dial. Acupuncture really helps me turn the dial back down. And I think part of it is because I'm literally just pinned down to a bed like I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. And I'm forced to just breathe really slowly and really deeply, which is really good for our nervous system. But it also helps us improve our circulation in a way that can be so beneficial because our blood really regulates so many different things in our body. And our, our circulation is so ignored. Honestly, I feel like we focus a lot on, you know, exercising for brain health or for muscles or for all these different things, but we need our blood. We need our circulation to deliver all of those healthy things in it, to deliver the oxygen and the vitamins and the antioxidants and the protein and all the different things that are traveling around in the blood, our hormones, hello, the way that our hormones get from our brain to our ovaries, to our adrenals is through the blood. And because acupuncture can help improve circulation so much, it can be another really supportive tool in reducing anxiety. So those were just some of the top things that came to mind in terms of what you can do through diet and lifestyle that will help you reduce anxiety. Again, I have no judgment against people who go through other modalities. If you feel like medication is the best thing for you to help reduce anxiety, or especially if you're in a place where your anxiety is so acute that you can't get started on any of these other tips. I really get it. I mean, I wasn't even aware that things like food could help me when I was really struggling with my anxiety. But I think if you told me at that time, I would not have been open to it. Like I was not interested in changing my diet. The only thing that pushed me to do it was trying to get pregnant. And honestly, I just, I don't think I would have been so motivated or so consistent with it. So it could be that you need some other kind of support to even help you get to a place where you can introduce other kinds of dietary and lifestyle changes. But I do want you to know about them because I think even if you don't choose to use them right now, it's so good to know that these are tools that are available to you. If you get to a point in life where you feel like anxiety is really overwhelming, I want you to know you can rely on these tools. And I will say that the more you introduce them when you're not in a super anxious state, the more you can rely on them when you are in a super anxious state. And one way that I really 
have seen that play out for me is right now, you know, if you're listening in real time, I'm recording this, it's January, 2024. There has been a war going on for three months in Israel. And I'm not going to say it's not stressful or I haven't been anxious. Of course, when there are literally sirens because rockets are being fired at us and I have to grab my kids and get in the bomb shelter. Of course, I feel stressed. Of course, I feel anxious. It would not be healthy if my body didn't have an anxious response to that kind of stimulus. At the same time, what I have seen just, you know, looking around at other people around me is I can bounce back and get back to that really centered place pretty quickly after an acutely anxious situation or other small things that might regularly set people off. Those things do not cause anxiety for me anymore. Or if they do, I can get back to baseline pretty quickly. And I think that's because these are things that have become habits in my life that I've been working on for so long. And even though I fell off the wagon with a couple of them during this time period, I was like, okay, I know that I feel so much better when I practice breath work every day. I know that I feel so much better when I'm really serious about balancing my blood sugar. So even though, yeah, this time has been really stressful and I've definitely wanted to reach for the sweeter things and the carbs a little bit more, I know it's not actually what makes me feel better. And it's easier for me to tap into, you know, this routine and these kinds of habits because I've been practicing them for so long. And this is just one of the coolest things I've seen playing out for my clients because very few of my clients come to me and tell me, Lauren, I really want to reduce my anxiety. I want to work with you because my anxiety is out of control and I really want to improve it. Nearly everybody is coming to me because they have some kind of hormonal imbalance or digestive issues or something that's more obviously connected to the food that they're eating. But it's one of the most incredible things to see when they notice these massive changes in their anxiety levels. So I remember one of my clients, Hannah, was telling me, you know, she used to be super, super stressed whenever she would unload her groceries. She's like, there was something about going to the grocery store or doing a target run. And I'd have all these bags in the trunk of my car. And then I had to unload them and I would just get super anxious about it. And she told me she struggled with anxiety in general around small things like that. And she said, I know, I know that I shouldn't be anxious about these things. I know there's nothing worrisome or scary about unloading my bags, but just things like that would totally make her feel anxious. And then this would play out a lot in her marriage and her social relationships with her kids. And when we were working together, it was because she had fertility related goals, even though she had kids, um, she was struggling with secondary infertility. And it was just incredible to really see how much her anxiety lessened when she made all of these changes to balance her blood sugar and improve her gut microbiome and improve ovulation and support her circadian rhythm. And she told me, you know, I feel like I'm moving through life in a different way. These tiny little things as simple as running errands or picking my kids up, you know, I don't have the same levels of anxiety that I used to have. And one of my favorite things also, when I feel like I know that this stuff is real is when my client's husbands will make comments about it. I remember two of my clients told me, they sent me like little screenshots of their texts with their husbands of them saying, you know, I used to be so scared of you before your period, <laughs> but now like you've become so much more chill. It's just so much easier to be around you. And if you think about, you know, we get our periods every month, our marriages are pretty big determining factors in our mood. Like I know if something is a little bit off or I'm a little bit annoyed with something with my husband, it bleeds into everything. It affects everything in my day. But if we're good, like that also spills over into everything. I could feel good about everything else when my marriage is in a good place. And when this stuff can impact your marriage, your friendships, your little day-to-day -day errands and situations, that's where I feel like it really is so life-changing. When your mood is better, when your energy is better, when you have less anxiety, I think that's really how you move through life feeling truly healthy. And I always said, you know, I got into this because I was after a pregnancy. All I wanted was to be a mom. And I always said, I'm going to stop this crazy thing where I don't eat a lot of sugar and I don't eat junk food and desserts when I get my baby. And I didn't end up doing that. Like that was the plan, but I, I didn't stick to it because I loved how I felt. And when you go from living in a body that is riddled with anxiety to a body that's calm, and centered and grounded and really being able to then release and let go of that story that I am an anxious person and move to, oh, when my blood sugar is imbalanced or when I'm not properly taking care of my body, 
It's a lot easier for me to feel anxious. That truly will change your life. And that's why I love the work that I do because I get to see how it really does impact people on a, on a life-changing basis. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I think we talked about a lot of really powerful tools here, but we only scratched the surface with them. And I want to tell you that in a couple of weeks, I'm so excited about this. The doors to my signature program, Balance Your Hormones 101 are reopening. And if you really want to learn like step-by-step, how do I actually balance my blood sugar? How do I actually improve my gut health and get into the nitty gritty, really learn what are the specific habits that are going to help you do that? Like I know I mentioned in this episode, you know, get more fiber, get more probiotics. But if you really want to know like how much fiber, where do I get it? How do I balance my blood sugar? How do I do all of the things? This course walks you through everything you need to know in order to balance your hormones. And one of the major benefits of that is going to be reducing your anxiety. It's going to help support you in all these different areas we talked about, help overall balance your reproductive hormones and support ovulation. And again, I think most people come into that course because they're looking for some other kinds of side, or I shouldn't say side. I think most people come into that course looking for a different kind of outcome. They're looking to either get pregnant or lose weight or balance their hormones or reduce their symptoms. But I'm telling you, one of the best things that people leave with is this reduction in anxiety. And so if you want to know more about that course or more about when it's coming out, you can get on the wait list. You can just sign up clicking the link in the show notes. You're not committing to anything. That just means that you will be first to receive information once the doors open. And again, that is just one of the most comprehensive programs out there that's going to teach you how to do all of these things and really put it into action because having all of this knowledge is awesome. But let me tell you the truth. Most people are not actually going to take this, take this podcast episode and apply it. It's when you really have the support and the structure through how to implement these habits and the knowledge of how to do it properly. That's where we really see people making changes. So If you want to know more about that, you can get on the wait list. And I would love, if you love this episode, let me know, send me a DM on Instagram, take a picture in your story and tag me, show me where you're listening. I love seeing you guys listening in your cars. That's always really cool for me to see if you're listening while you're on a walk. That's awesome. And if you feel like this would help any of the other women in your life, your friend, your sister, your mom, feel free to send it to them leave a rating and review because it really helps the podcast. And I can't wait to be back next week with another awesome episode for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I wish you guys all an amazing day. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.